Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst, Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Well, Rod, that was a heck of a game. Michigan State goes down to Duke in the second round of the NCAA Tournament, 85-76. And boy, we were up five with... At the under four mark, I think, right? Uh, under, just, just surprising. Five. Under five, yeah. under five, yeah. And uh, it really felt like your momentum was on our side. Walker felt like he was really heating up, and boy, you really thought that was uh, serious. Possibly, we're going to take down Duke. Yeah, I, I thought I thought the chances were actually really good because they had the lead, the clock situation, and then on top of that, something we spent a lot of time talking about in our uh, our pregame, our preview the immense amount of pressure that such a young team has on their shoulders in this situation, I really thought they were going to crack. And to their credit, uh, and it was their young guys. It was their freshmen and their soft. Well, Wendell Moore made some pretty big plays too, but it was not a freshman or sophomore. But uh, they, they went out and made every play at both ends they needed to make. You know, you can you can focus, as I'm sure some will, on some things that Michigan State did down the stretch that weren't good, and that's true. Uh, I think the move Joey tried to make was probably not the optimal shot to get in that situation that, that Bancaro blocked. Um, you know, I'm sure people will focus on the turnover Max committed uh, when they were down four. And they just they couldn't have it there. But again, I think even that Max turnover, yeah, you can come down on him for picking up his dribble in that spot. And and that look, that's a cardinal sin. But Duke really turned up the heat defensively on that possession. They were with everybody. And so I give them at least a little bit of credit for helping to create that one. And then they just they made every play. You know, they the the three that Roach hit to take it from one to four which was pretty well contested, actually. Hogard was yeah. there, um, and the kid just hit it. Okay, so I that's why I, I don't feel – I'm frustrated they didn't pull off what would have been a huge win for this team and end Kay's career. But uh, I, th- I do – my feeling here is I'm more inclined to give Duke credit for winning that than I am, in a, as in a lot of games this year, blame Michigan State for losing it. You know, yeah, I definitely felt like with this game, we were pretty much playing at the max. I think there's a point in the second half when we got down nine. It definitely felt like you know just things weren't dropping. But I mean, from three point range, everyone was on. I think everyone was everyone was focused and dialed in, rebounding hard, and defensively, I mean, Duke shot the lights out, uh, which you know because they're mostly layups. 
but that's somewhat to be expected, right? I mean, they're you you sort of have to pick your poison against Duke, and they're they're far more athletic and talented than in yeah. most teams in the country, right? And that's, so that's the thing that maybe you know, in in retrospect, I wonder if um, how Izzo will feel about it. Duke shot the three reasonably well. They were at thirty eight point five percent on the game, which is about what they normally do, but they only took thirteen of them. So it seemed right. pretty clear that Michigan State's defensive game plan was we're going to play up a little bit more than I expected, quite honestly. And again, I give credit to Duke. If you haven't seen, if our listeners have not seen Duke play this year, that Duke attack offensively might have looked familiar to you. It's like it looked a lot like the way their 2015 national championship team played with all that penetration. Trust me. That is not them this year. So, again, give them credit for adjusting what Michigan State was doing and just a steady diet of going off the dribble. I mean, even Bancaro, who can operate in the post, really didn't do a lot of damage as a post-up guy. It was, you know, off the dribble, facing up and, and getting his way near the rim. So dribble penetration was obviously the big, if you're going to highlight one big area, of difficulty for Michigan State on either end, um, that was it. Uh, I think, you know, it's 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 really something else. I'm looking at the stats here. 11 for 22 from three. 11 for 12 at the line. So they didn't shoot as many as Duke, but that got blown out a little bit with the fouling at the end. So they delivered yep. there. They out-rebounded Duke. They out-rebounded them 12-7 on the offensive glass. I think that's a pretty remarkable performance. And it's something that I did highlight. I thought was possible in the pregame and MSU went out and did it. And once again, seven turnovers, they won the turnover battle 10 to seven. So you look at those things, they don't turn the ball over. They out rebound by a bit, a, a decent rebounding opponent in Duke, at least on the offensive end. And they shoot the lights out from three and they lose. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you look at the stats and you would think, wow, you're shooting 50%. And a couple of those were sort of desperation threes at the end. I mean, we were. Yes. Right? I mean, yes. Uh, and then the fouling disparity was obviously was worse at the end because of just fouling right. and desperation down six. Yeah. I, I mean, you look at turnovers, everything. You, you almost, you're surprised that Michigan State was losing. Yeah. Because, I, well, but, they really, you know, that's the thing. Again, five point lead with five minutes to go. That was reflective yeah. of what the, the story, the statistics tell you in part, but just, you know, again, this wasn't a nine point game. This was basically Duke winning an extremely tight game. That's really what it was. And where they made all that stuff up in the end was a, a bit of an edge at the free throw line. Again, a lot of that was because MSU had the foul late. They had a 16 to 11 made free throw edge and they shot 16 for 21, which is very good. So they didn't, they didn't hurt themselves there. And then just their, their overall shooting percentage, they shot 57% from the floor. And that I would not have expected. They're a good offensive team, but I wouldn't have expected that. And you nailed why. It was a lot of layups, some dunks. They just they pounded the ball at Michigan State, and they got a lot, lot, lot out of that. And in the end, that was enough to hold off all the other yeah. things Michigan State did well. I think Hogard being in foul trouble and having to sit for a while, I think that hurt. I think that was that two guard lineup worked real well for a couple yeah. of minutes there in the second half 
Walker started kind of feeling more comfortable, and then Hogar got that fourth foul yeah. when on the strip of I think Williams under the under the basket yeah. had to go out for a little bit. I do uh, I do want to point and, one thing out in regard to um, AJ, and I can't remember for sure what the spread was. I think it was when MSU got it down to. I think they had it at at five and had possession off a missed free, uh, I think off a missed free throw. I'd have to go back transcript and see, but there was a segment where Michigan State theoretically with a made basket and especially a made three would have been able to put Duke under game pressure at the end. And Izzo substituted in Hogard for Walker. And I didn't. Yeah, that was strange. It. I didn't understand it. And the reason being, and, and you saw what happened, it ended up, I I want to say that might have been the possession where Joey had to take an off-balance three, but I, I may have my segments confused, but I know I've got the basic point here. There was a big possession late where MSU, theoretically, if they hit one, they're not dead. And he substituted Hogard for Walker. I didn't understand it because at that stage, the clock was, there was enough, little enough time left that Hogard getting to the rim and finishing a two probably doesn't do as much for you because it still would have been a three-point game and then you got a foul Duke. They only need to hit one of two to make the two-possession yep. game. I thought you really needed a three, and so why not put the ball in the hands of the guy who can create his own three? He might not hit it. And he's hit two in the game. But, you know, he could do yeah. that. Hogard, you just you don't want that. You don't want him taking that shot. So I didn't understand that. I I don't know what the rationale was there, but you know, regardless, um, it's not where Michigan State won or lost this thing. Yeah, they lost it definitely down the stretch where they had the five point lead and just couldn't convert on the. I think they had a miss three to go up eight, yeah. and then Duke came down and and they and they just kept scoring and they just they didn't miss. Right. I think they had four, five yeah. or six field goals in a row, and that. And that was the, I, I kept thinking, well, if we get them under, uh, which they were five, I thought to your, just like we were talking before the game, I thought that was going to be enough pressure that Duke was, Duke was going to fold and And they didn't, they, to their credit, they did everything they needed to do to win. And, you know, good teams do that. They, they make the winning shots at the winning time. And, yeah. and, uh, and I think, you know, there, I, I don't know how you want to look at the post game, but I think, should we just go through some individual players yeah. a little bit? I mean, yeah. I guess Let's kind just of postmortem. Go down the lineup. Yeah, I mean, I think so. First half, I, without a doubt, Gabe Brown was was great. I think he was defensively pretty good, staying staying people, and then also he was you know locked in from three, and kept that game from getting out of hand because there were a number of times where you felt like eh, it was just about yeah. they're just about to pull away. They never do could never really separate. Even I mean, even those four points at half, uh, I think largely because of Gabe and, and just well the three point shooting. I mean, we were three. There were three others made. There were seven of ten at halftime from three. Yeah, I, I I think if this was Gabe's last game, and that's you know yet to be determined for any of the the three seniors. If it's Gabe's last game, I think he went out on a on a high note. You know, 18 points led the scoring. He had 14 at the half, as you said. His three point shooting really kept Michigan State afloat. Um, seven for 11 overall, four for six from three. Only two rebounds, but I, I thought he defended reasonably well. He had that one great block of, I think it was Roach in the first half. Yep. Um, yeah, he, he he did himself proud, if that is indeed the end. Yeah, and our other senior, Marcus Bingham, who I thought 
noticeable difference when he was in the game defensively for uh, for Michigan State versus when he, when Marble's out there. He was able to. I mean, no one was super effective <laughs> guarding the the pick and roll, but certainly he he slowed people down a little bit. And I think they had a couple. I was surprised in the second half a little bit. They would allow him to switch easily off onto uh, Pancaro or Boncaro. and Boncaro really didn't uh, didn't attack him. But maybe one time he did, but most of the time he seemed to just try and get rid of the ball because he wasn't quite sure what to do. Because he was never he was oftentimes I think no man's land. He was like a little bit yep. a few feet inside the three point line and didn't really want to drive on Marcus and. I mean, I think most of the times, I think Duke still scored uh, going to other people, but he sort of stymied Bankero for a little bit. Yeah, he did. I, I thought Marcus also, if this was his last game, I think he did himself proud. 16 points, only five for 12 from the floor. He missed some stuff on the interior that, you know, Williams, as we talked about, it's basically like the, the meme that floats around the internet where Spider-Man is pointing at another Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You could say Williams is probably a little better player, but a little more consistent, I would say. But, um, you know, 10 boards, four, uh, I'm sorry, six offensive. So he was a huge part of Michigan State's second chances and three blocks, uh, also with two steals. So there's not much to critique in Marcus Bingham's game in this one. I thought, I thought, you know, two for three from three. They were both big shots that he hit, those triples. Uh, I, I think he gave it everything he had, and I thought, he again, he did himself proud. I thought he played very well. Yeah. We were talking earlier before about, you know, these the big men sometimes losing focus, and I, Marcus wasn't. He was locked in the whole yep. game. He was offensively – a couple of those offensive reports, he just were put-back dunks or uh, little layups. Uh, other starter would be Max Christie who unfortunately you know his last people's last memory of this game is him giving it away at yeah. the end uh that where he dribbled in the corner but he had some you know he had a he had a threes one or two for threes four of eight overall looked a little shaky to start with but then uh he had that nice uh dunk back cut into yeah. in the second half and so he got nine points on uh again four of eight shooting and a couple three rebounds a couple assists it's a shame that it ended that way because at least offensively I thought it was the best game he's played in a while since the Maryland game in the tournament uh, where he led MSU in scoring. Um, unfortunately, that turnover is going to loom in a lot of people's minds. Again, I don't think that was so critical that it was where it was won and lost, but it took a four-point game to a six-point game, and at that stage, yeah, it, ended, it got yeah. tough. It really kind of officially ended things. Uh, he, like pretty much everybody from Michigan State, so he was no exception, struggled defending uh, Duke's perimeter guys, you know, denying penetration. They just, they didn't have anybody who consistently was able to do that. Uh, going back to Bainham for a second, you know, they credited Marcus with three blocks. God, he laid out, and it, again, it, it gets back to my, my overarching point that I think Duke went and won this more than Michigan State lost it. Duke hit some shots around the rim that Marcus Bingham makes that play against the vast majority, or, or it's just missed because he made the play. He altered a shot. And the fact that they were able to hit so many of those where they were contorted or they really laid out just to get the ball to the backboard. Uh, it was, it was more credit to them than a negative for Marcus. I thought Marcus was the one guy who can feel you can feel like he really played a game defensively. I thought he was good. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if you watched the game last night between Memphis and Gonzaga, but it 
some of those shots look like Timmy just, you know, no matter what kind of defense you throw him, he just would have these crazy bank right. shots. And you're like, was well, lucky. And then he hits four in Roy. Like, okay, I guess he's no. really good. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Look, Duke's got good players. We know that. Now, are they going to hit those shots every time out? Of course not. But are they capable of hitting them? You know, Duke can say, hey, we know Michigan State's a good three-point shooting team, but 11 for 22? Okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, I, again, I, I give them credit in that situation for making very difficult plays. And then we go to uh, A.J. Hogard, who had only played 19 minutes because of foul trouble, and that was really what limited him. He had eight points and three of eight shooting, uh, a couple, three rebounds, four assists. I don't know. I don't. I don't think he had any turnovers. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. seeing. He, he had at least one turnover. I'm not seeing the stats right now, but I'm certain he has at least one. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, they only had seven total, so no, no one was really a big turnover problem besides the ones we remember there. The yeah. Minutes. But but I think A.J. played a pretty good game. Defensively, he was pretty good, and I think offensively he was able to attack the rim and even score over Williams that one time near the end. Yeah. He made, he made some plays, and you kind of, at least I kind of felt um, down the stretch – Okay, maybe we're going to see the same thing we have we saw against Davidson. It kind of felt that way. AJ made a couple of plays, and it was starting to feel like, oh, he's he's taking over, and and then it just kind of fell apart. Didn't happen, um, but not a not a bad game. I think he and Walker combined were actually pretty good. They were they were a big part of what kept MSU in this thing. You know, is that they played they played reasonably well offensively. Yeah, I think, and I think just to that point, I think, you know, the team, to their credit, I think everybody played pretty well. I mean, I think it was, no one was out there like throwing a stink bomb. Right. I don't think really too badly. Uh, Joey Hauser played 25 minutes. He had five points, way much below his last game of 27, but totally different matchup, obviously. He's one of five from the field, one of four from three, six boards, three assists, and um, he was two for two from line with a, he had an offensive board. But I thought he was. I thought he played pretty well, even defensively too. I mean, they, I don't think it's just not a good you know, matchup, you know. And here was the problem: the one guy who I think really didn't do anything for MSU today was Malik Hall. And I was going to say, yeah, that he'd be the next one on the list to talk about. He yeah, played fifteen yeah. minutes, and you know, normally you would say, okay, Malik is your better option to guard Bancaro. you know, because he's a little stronger, a little more athletic, just a little better matchup. But I didn't see any reason to play Malik over Joey. And it's not that Joey was playing a great game, but um, he was the better option. I have no argument with the playing time allocation. He had 25 minutes. Malik had 15. So that's your 40 for the game. That's how they split them. And I think that was about right, even though Joey was not dialed in offensively. This was just a game. He wasn't going to have the kind of game he had against Davidson. That was obvious. I thought the one area where he might be able to really hurt Duke was shooting the three. And he hit his first one. And then the next two, I'm not even going to count the heave he took late. Yeah. That's what I But the the other two shots he missed were really unfortunate because they were a result of great offense and they were wide open. And that's what I thought would happen. If you look at Hauser – and you look at um, Bainham, I thought they would get some looks from three against this team because Duke's bigs struggled to get out on shooters. And that is what happened. They had wide open yeah. looks. None of those were contested. It's just in Joey's case, a couple of good looks didn't drop. Yeah. I mean, to combine, they were three of seven for three, right. which is You'll take. pretty good. You'll take. But, 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was I was really surprised. I feel like Hall the last because I let's say about eight nine games ago, pretty clearly it seemed Hall was your better option at the four than Hauser. I mean, Hauser was was offensively doing pretty well, but he felt like that Hall gives you a little bit more defense. He's a little bit quicker and he can guard a little bit better. He just does not. He did the, down the stretch here. He really seemed a little more disconnected from the defense and just kind of lost. And I don't know. Maybe that's not fair, but I just oh, feel I like he's fair. And then he's also kind of, and it sort of spilled over in his offense too. They just, it doesn't seem quite as crisp as he was most of the season. The, the word I would use is passivity. And that's what we saw. When Malik Call is good, he is aggressive. He is engaged. You see it. It's reflected in the way he moves. It's reflected in um, his exuberance on the court. And when, for whatever reason, it doesn't happen, it goes hard the other way. There, there just aren't a lot of games that I walk away from thinking, well, Malik played, you know, decently. It's usually <laughs> he's really, really good or he doesn't do very much. And unfortunately, today was one of those don't do very much games, you know. And yeah, and I thought it I thought it lined up that I thought it was possible because he has been a very good jump shooter this season that there might be opportunities. But for whatever reason, he was 0 for 1 from 3. Uh, for whatever reason, it, it didn't happen. He wasn't aggressive enough. And as I said, I, I, I didn't have a problem with the playing time allocation in this one. I think even though it might have cost them something defensively at times, uh, I didn't see signs out of Malik that he was necessarily going to be any better in stopping Bancaro. And Joey at least was engaged. Joey was playing hard, playing with emotion, you know. That's something Malik's yeah, really got to work at next season, you know. Yeah, I Yeah, I think um, yeah, he has a little bit of that Aaron Henry in him. I think yes. <laughs> just go yes. recent, right. Guy thinks there's so much you just need to unlock, and um, well, we'll see what happens next year. I guess that's in many kind of ways per- I, going forward. In many ways, I agree with you completely because he also has some of Aaron Henry's game. He has an ability with his handle and his size and strength to get himself into good spots at the rim. He's not a pure penetrator. But the way, same way Aaron was able to do it, Malik has that his game. Except Malik is a much more consistent jump shooter than Aaron. I was going to say a yeah, better shooter, yeah. So it's that's the big one for next year, and we got a lot of time to talk about that in other episodes. But I think Malik Hall has to make a decision because as to what he wants to be, because the talent level I think is high. It is very, very clearly to me at least. His potential is to be a great player, an all-Big Ten kind of player. I I really believe that. And if you look at his best moments from this season, and there were a lot of them, uh, I I think it's evident. But the consistency and the the too frequent bouts of passivity in his game, that's just not going to do it. You know, and he's a captain, too. You expect more from those guys. And I don't think that in the end that he fully delivered on what a captain's responsibilities are. You know, I don't I don't hold Gabe accountable the same way because um, I think whatever you want to say about Gabe Brown's season and, you know, he did have that slump that he shot his way out of in the end and obviously came up big today. But I never felt that Gabe was passive. Gabe just wasn't hitting shots for a period of time. You know, I don't think it was, oh, God, why isn't Gabe trying? Why isn't he playing? Why isn't he trying to impose himself on the game? 
with Malik, it's a mindset thing. And I'm sure that's going to be a focus in the offseason for him and for the team. And it needs to be because he needs to be really, really good next year. And he's got no excuse for not being really, really good, in my opinion. So next we talk about Tyson Walker. He played 26 minutes and he had 13 points, four of eight from the field, two for five from three. And one is sort of like a desperation at the end. Rebound, five assists. And uh, on a, in three fourth line, and on that, I think probably bad ankle, but it he looked pretty good as far as moving. I, I would the only criticism I'd have of Walker's, I still think hopefully next year he he's willing to go a little bit inside more and take some contact and get to the rim because I I feel like his opportunity is there and he he's a little bit afraid of getting shot blocked or maybe that was happening earlier this season. I I can't quite figure it out why he's he's more passive going to the going to the hole than than Hogard. I know he's smaller, but no, I, I agree. I think in general though, because I also think the same statement applies to getting shots uh that are there for him on the perimeter. I think he's been too passive in that area as well. Look, he played well in this game. Now, did the ankle maybe affect some things defensively? Because he like everybody was part of MSU's inability to keep Duke out of the lane. Maybe, but offensively he sure looked fine to me. I didn't think he had any yeah. problems. So if that's 85% of Tyson Walker, that's a good thing. Um, I, I liked the fact that late in the game, I thought he was, he looked like a confident guy. And that's why I mentioned it toward the outset of this. I was a little bit puzzled by that decision they made on a, on a must possession where it's like, if you don't score here and really hit a three, honestly, you're done why they'd make that move because Tyson's a guy who can go get you a look by himself. Um, maybe not the best look, but a look, which they needed a look at that stage. Uh, you know, but overall, um, I'm pretty happy with the way that he played. I thought, um, you know, for a guy who people were worried about, would he play? I thought, I thought he played pretty good basketball in these two games. Yeah. And then uh, we talked about Jaden Akins. Yeah. Uh, he had 15 minutes, uh, three points. He's one of one. Just had that big three, which yeah. I, where he ended that real long store, scoring drought, uh, where Duke was again. It's one of the, they had so many threes in that first half that just kept them within contact yep. because it was it, it was always about to get out of hand, and then they'd hit a three or something and stay in. And his was one of them. But I think I feel like that was one. There, there's a long lull before they scored, and he hit that kind of with a shot clock. You're right about that. Uh, that might have been when they had their nine-point lead in the first half because I think there was a stage in the first half where they got it out to nine or maybe they got it out to seven and and Aikens hit that three and it, it was that 0 for 11 streak. He's the one yeah. who ended it. And, um, you know, he played, look, him taking that, – that play is a microcosm of what should get everybody excited about Jaden Aikens. One, he has no fear of the moment, none. So the stuff we're talking about with Tyson Walker and Malik Hall – does not apply to Jaden Akins. Jaden Akins is ready to take a shot, ready to attack you anytime, all the time. Might not make the play, but he doesn't have a mindset issue. It's kind of the same thing with Hogard. You never worry about Hogard's confidence or that he's going to retreat into something of a shell of himself and, and in essence, help the defense by taking himself away. <laughs> That's not Jaden Akins. The other thing that I think I you really should be excited about for next year is the way he made that shot. He made it by using the dribble to create enough space to get it. He and Tyson Walker are the two guys on this roster that have that ability. 
And we've seen it many, many times from Jaden this year. I think they said he hit 19 threes on the season. So that's not quite one a game, but uh, I've seen enough that I think, I think he's going to be an outstanding two-way player in this program because we all know he can check. And offensively, I think as he gains – with him, it's not confidence. It's more about experience. As he gains more experience, I think you're going to see him do much, much more damage off the dribble, which we didn't see as much of this year from him. Not as much as I thought we would, to be honest, because if you saw him play in high school, that was a big component of his game. And instead, for Michigan State, I think he was mostly a perimeter guy in terms of how he tried to function. I think that will change as he grows. He also, you know, needs to get a little stronger like Max. And uh, assuming that happens, I think you'll see a much more complete offensive player starting next year. But I'm I'm very bullish on his future. No question. Yeah, I agree. Julius Marble is the last uh, player who played significant minutes. I guess Pierre Brooks checked in for a second or so, but... So Marble had 13 minutes, four points, two of nine. He was really, really struggled trying to score. Even he had a couple of long jump shots that he's hit in the past and just, yeah. you know, brick those. And uh, a couple of inside shots that were, again, just kind of bouncing out. I mean, Williams really bothered him and, I mean, bothers everybody. But, yeah. but he certainly bothered Marble quite a bit. I, I, and I think he really he struggled defensively getting on some of those switches and uh, some of those blow-bys, like everyone on the team. But. Yeah, not, not his best day. Uh, I think you're right at both ends. Offensively, the length really bothered him. I mean, Julius Marble does not put up many two-for-nines from the floor. He's been a very good finisher, especially like the last, I don't know, four weeks or so. He's shot at a really high level, and I, I think that was a problem. Well, let's credit at least a lot of that to Williams' length. And then uh, on the defensive end, yeah, he was just not good. Duke had those slip screens that we saw several times that ended in dunks, usually for Williams. Julius got exposed on some of those. That, there was a big difference in this game defensively, no question, between the minutes that Julius played and the minutes Marcus Bainham played. When Marcus Bainham was out there, it wasn't that he shut the water off by any means, but they were a lot better defensively. And that's, that's no surprise. I mean, this has been the knock on Julius all along, is can he defend well enough to be an important player for you because most of the time he's not going to go two for nine from the floor. He's a very good offensive player. And if he was reliable enough where you could play him 25 minutes instead of the 13 that he got tonight, he could be a double digit scorer. I don't have much doubt about that. He absolutely could. The question is, can you afford to play him enough minutes defensively to allow him to get enough shots to be a double digit scorer? And that's where the question mark has been in his career. I think this was his best season, but uh, not his best game. And I think it's still a little bit of a question mark going into next year. I think, you know, one of the concerns people had going to this game, I, there's people that I know as soon as people saw Bo Borowski toss the ball, <laughs> Michigan State fans panicked a little bit. What, what is your opinion on the officiating? I thought it was okay. I mean, that Hogard block that he had earlier, I mean, clearly fouled. I don't remember that one break <laughs> he got away with one they didn't impact the game in my mind i mean i that that last you know you can focus on individual moments and there was that that out of bounds play that they called out for duke and um i i thought there was enough to overturn it but it, yeah so whatever uh but no i didn't think 
I didn't think they were bad. You know, MSU was four and one in, in Borowski games this year coming into this one, four and two now. But uh, so he, for, for all the hatred he gets from the MSU fan base, and believe me, I understand why, um, he wasn't a problem for MSU this year. The, the, big, the big problem I have is when you know the names of these guys, that's probably an indication that there's an issue. And, and it's usually because they're overly flamboyant in the way they impact games, you know, and those are yeah. the guys I don't like. And, uh, you know, Borowski fits that mold a little bit, I guess, but no, I didn't, I didn't think he was a problem. And I, I felt compared to the Davidson game where I thought that officiating crew really was pretty poor. I thought this was a much, much better officiated game. They called some stuff, but they let both teams play some. They weren't calling everything in terms of physical play, and I'm always fine with that. So yeah, I thought, and I thought I thought it was even. Yeah. It was even both ways, yeah. right? I don't. I don't yeah, think they even had calls. advantage you, with it. You mentioned the the Hogar block was clearly a missed call. That if that that came against Michigan State, we'd all be furious about it. Um, as I said, <laughs> I think they missed that out of bounds call. They probably missed a few more both ways, but uh, by and large, nah, not a problem. Yeah. You don't, you never, I mean, I was, I turned to my family and said, hey, wow, it's seven to five. We have uh, less fouls than us. And then it was like the three fouls in a row three in that on one possession for Michigan State. Yeah. Right. It was yeah. Seven to and four. Two of those were definitely fouls. Yeah. Right. It was, it was seven to four because that took them from four to in the pen. Right. On, on one right. possession. That's right. Um, but yeah, again, I, I don't have complaints. Yeah, I guess we look at the keys and intangibles, probably discuss that plenty. A second chances, offensive rebounded, we had an edge seven, 12 to 7, yeah. I think. I and we got, we got some a lot of buckets off those, too. I mean, that's Marcus kind of made his hay on, off, on the offensive yeah, rebound. Yeah, I want, want to see here. Sorry, I'm I'm trying to look. Yeah, you have to do the math to figure out. They've, well, the problem is seven offensive rebounds when you only had when you only missed twenty four shots. Yeah, <laughs> so that's almost thirty some um, percent, right? It was yeah. Bear, bear with me a second here because I'm gonna I'm gonna get to this. I want to see the the collective. So Michigan State, um, yeah, twelve of um, thirty eight. Pretty good offensive rebounding rate. So they were at thirty one point five percent. You can live with that. That's not a bad performance. Um, they only had 20. Yeah, theirs is going to be a little better, I think. Duke. Yeah, oh, no, so. I'm sorry. 29.1% for Duke. Yeah. So yeah. Um, you give MSU the edge there. But I wanted to see, and I'm, of course, this, I'm looking at the NCAA's stats here because that's what's available. And they don't have second chance points, which I really wanted to see. Because I, I agree with you. It seemed to me that Michigan State, made a lot of hay out of their opportunities. Bainham alone had at least a couple putbacks, uh, but it also seemed like Duke did some damage there too. And so I wanted to see how that, how that panned out, but unfortunately I'm, I'm not finding that stat here. So um, sorry folks, but I, but I think in general, I think you, you have to be reasonably satisfied with the way that, uh, Oh, here we go. I've got it. They've I, yeah, I was going to say, I just got on it today, just put it up to Second too. chance yeah. points for Michigan State, 14 for Duke. Uh, you know, yeah. you take that. And uh, the four, I mean, we've talked about that quite a bit. Benchero was able to get stuff done. But, I, you know, I don't feel like he really, there was a little stretch where he was dominating for a bit. And then he was sort of just there. And he ended up with his 
average, right? About 19 yep. points or so. Yep. No, I, he, wasn't, I, he wasn't a guy so impactful that I thought, oh, that guy just single-handedly destroyed us. He had a couple threes that one stretch again. But after that, it was sort of just – he was just around. I think that Wendell Moore, which you would expect, and then Jeremy Jeremy Roach and Trevor Keels were the, were the difference. The fact that yeah. all three of those guys played as well as they did um, I thought was really, really big for Duke, you know, and that's what maybe you, you hoped wouldn't happen. I, I didn't necessarily see coming, but all those guys, I mean, geez, Duke had five guys in double digits and the low scorer among them was Keels with 12, three guys with 15 <laughs> yeah. and then Bancaro with 19. That's pretty good. That's pretty good balance. And obviously a lot of guys contributing. And then uh, turnovers, we say that, you know, Michigan State won that battle 10-7, to 7, yeah. and I don't feel like there are a lot of points off turnovers that, uh, that hurts. I guess, well, I guess, Duke had nine, yep. State had 10. But again, yeah, so about the same. if it's not a deficit, that's a plus. For us this season, for yeah. sure. <laughs> three points, no question, three pointers. Uh, Michigan State had a huge edge there, which is what kept the game so close. Yep. Uh, dis- <laughs> uh, despite going to the line. And, and it was... Uh, certainly the results were not predictable, but the opportunities were. I had a feeling that that was going to happen, that Duke was going to surrender a lot of threes. I, I will say this. I'll give them credit. Uh, we talked in the preview about how disconnected they've been at times. I didn't think they were as bad as I had expected based on what I had seen of them and what I've read about them in the games I haven't seen. Um, especially lately. So I'll give them credit there. But even when this group is connected, it just K is just not, you know, there's certain guys, Calipari, for all the criticism people throw at him, has said, and we've talked about this, has had a remarkable run and ability of being able to get one-year players, including mostly freshmen, to play high-level defense. That has not been K's thing since he moved to this model. It just hasn't. And I think even a more connected version of Duke that we saw today was not going to be good enough to deny Michigan State open jump shots. And they weren't. And Michigan State hit a lot of them. That's the part you don't always know. You know, fortune can cut against you, even if you're a good shooting team. But Michigan State was a good shooting team, and they shot like it. And it kept them alive. Every time Duke tried to separate, we got the threes and yep. kept it in. Uh, the The unofficial sixth key to the game was, of course, transition. And I thought, especially in the first half, getting a lot of transition, a lot of movement. We got Gabe had a couple of breakaway dunks. I think one was in the second half that started closing the, the lead a little bit. And I don't know. I mean, it was a fast pace. It was a fun game to watch. It, yeah. So sometimes I feel like Michigan State games have been a little bit like watching paint dry, and so we weren't having that problem this no. much. That much this was game. a really well played game. MSU did have a 19 to 15 edge in fast break points, and that's probably about right, reflective of the you know Duke. Duke got caught napping a few times. One of Marble's buckets came off that. Uh, you know, I'm not yep. the, the ones that came off live ball turnovers are a little different, but um, you saw Duke get caught just enough that I felt like what I had suspected might happen was correct, that, that they weren't going to be consistently good at keeping MSU out of the, out of transition. I, I don't know, but to this point, uh, cause I agree with you, it was an extremely well-played game, both sides. 
a lot of tough shot making, um, fast tempo and pace, faster than I thought. But in, not this is any surprise to anybody. I, I love Charles Barkley as a personality. And he was obviously an all-time great player. But anybody, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners did watch the um, the pregame stuff on CBS. And he predicted Michigan State would get blown out, which, of course, did not happen. But the other thing, more egregious thing, was he said the only chance Michigan State had to make this a game was to muck it up and play a slow tempo. And thank God Clark Kellogg was there to at least partially correct him and say, no, no, I think they've got to at least opportunistically run. So no, 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 they need to run because that's how they play. Some of the, it, it just, whatever. It's not a knock. He's not there because he's a college basketball expert. He's there because right. a hall of fame player and a personality, but you, you, you should always ignore what he has to say about specifics. And that was just the latest example. Michigan state clearly did not try to slow it down. They looked to push. And it was to their benefit that they did. Yeah, Anyone who's watched Michigan State basketball, and of course anyone listening to this podcast, knows that Michigan State operates much better when they're in the open court yeah. moving around. I mean, we, it, we, games where we're stuck in the half court the entire game is the ones we struggle at the most and tr- trying to get mm-hmm. open shots, especially this season. I mean, actually the last couple of years probably. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, Since Winston was out there. It's what I hope. Yeah, it's what I hope we see a change in, and I think we could next season. Because now you've got a year under the, the belts of both Hogard and Walker with this team. And and you're also adding Trayvon Holloman, who I, I think will play. I don't know how big a role, but I think he will play. And he's a creative player as well who can definitely play lead guard for you. Uh, but those two guys specifically, particularly Hogard late in the year, my, my thing had been AJ's game was basically – getting offense for himself via penetration in the half court and transition playmaking. I did not feel for most of this season that he was great as a half court orchestrator, but late in the year, I think that changed, you know, you go back to that Purdue game and he played with a pace with a controlled pace. That was really something to see. And I think if both of those guys can build off what they did, I think they both had enough moments of success that they can feel confident going into the off season that they can be even better. And I think Michigan state's half court offense could be better as a result. It should be. Well, I guess, you know, when I look at the game, I, I I'm pleased with the fact that they played, I think about their best game. I mean, they weren't perfect. No one's ever can play a perfect game, but they did. They played hard. They, they didn't get overwhelmed by the situation. It didn't seem like, they gave Duke a real test and it's a team that you know, clearly is a better team as far as, you know, the, the pieces. And so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, for the, for the way the season had to end is certainly what it looked like about eight weeks ago or four or five weeks ago, definitely pleased, obviously would rather have had this make it to the sweet 16. You liked your chances and we, and there, you know, had the chance with five minutes to go up. That's really all you can ask for against a team like, do you're not going to, you're not going to blow them out. In the NCAA that, tournament. That's the thing that I think is, is fairly going to frustrate Izzo. I think you and I can talk about it from that perspective, and I'm I'm pretty much where you are with it. But Izzo will look back at it and say, we're five minutes away. All, oh, yeah. All we had to do is get a couple stops and make a couple plays on offense, which we've been doing for the first 35 minutes, and we get this thing done. I mean, it was there. And uh, they couldn't do it. 
and that's it's unfortunate but it doesn't it doesn't taint the effort for me i'm with you i think they played extremely hard and they played at a high level certainly offensively you can critique things defensively but i think at least a little bit of that was game plan um and and then a little bit of it too was duke just making a lot of plays a lot of those shots they hit don't kid yourself this was not like some of the games this year where I felt like MSU's dribble contained just disappeared. The, the, the Michigan game in Ann Arbor, which I got to witness in person, was an example of that where it was like they had a, you know, Frankie Collins had an escort to the rim. I mean, it was a joke. That was not this. This was, yeah, guys were getting into the paint. And that's always a problem if it happens. But Duke made a lot of tough finishes. And so that's why I can, even in that area, I can kind of compartmentalize it into an area where I don't feel horribly about what Michigan state did, because I think the effort was there. I think it took a good team, not a great one. Duke's not great. This is far from the best K team I've ever seen, but a good Duke team. It took that team playing well. And especially in the clutch, they played well. It took that to beat MSU. With where this team was three weeks ago, hey, I don't have much to feel badly about. Yeah. I'm sure Izzo hates losing all the time, so of I, course. Would, I would expect to be any different for him. But this <laughs> he, is, he wants to keep playing all the way. Well, this is also one that, you know, for the guys that are coming back, um, this should be one of those games that serves as a building block. And, and different, you know, the program doesn't necessarily need that because it's so well established, but I think individual teams and collection of rosters and collection of players sometimes need that they need they need to have that moment and this should be one where these guys individually should be able to look at it and realize hey we were there we were right there and if we just been a little bit sharper just a little bit sharper we get it done we go on to the sweet 16 and then who the hell knows um but that can be, you know, it should be something that helps your momentum going into the offseason. I don't think this is one like we've had in some other years where you look at a loss in the tournament and say, wow, that was just, you know, it's hard to come back from, you know, and get fired up for the next season. It takes you a while. This thing, to me, those guys that are coming back, they should be able to get back into it, you know, tomorrow if it came down to it. And and be excited about their future because I, I think they did show a lot of good things. Yeah, I mean overall, I think you just <clears throat> at least I feel more optimistic towards the next season. I already was looking at this season as more this is a build up to next season anyway, but yeah. definitely feel like it, there's there's some damage you can do next year depending on you know what how the new pieces and <laughs> who's on the team right. It's always right. A, a question now. That's the thing. I mean, there's so much unknown. Look, if if this entire roster were coming back there'd be two sides to it. You would say on the one hand, well, th- these guys played pretty well th- in this tournament. You know, Hauser has the huge game against Davidson. Brown played reasonably well, and, and um, Bainham both played pretty well in that game. And both of those guys were great today. Um, you feel pretty good about it. The other side of it is, yeah, but those guys were a big part of why this team was struggling when they were down so and they're seniors so you it's fair to wonder how much better how much more consistency etc are they going to play with this is my position 
if any of those guys wanted to come back and it were my decision, which clearly it's not, but if it were, I would take any of them back. But I can understand those guys, any of them, feeling like it's been enough. The only thing that would bother me is if one of them decided to transfer out to another program for a fifth year. That would that would bother me, and I would think that would bother Ism. But if they're moving on with their life, going into professional basketball, and they'll all have opportunities for that if they want it, um, I, I can understand that. So I think if that happened, I think if you're if you're Tom Izzo, what you've got to be thinking about is you need to be, I would believe, focused on adding an interior player, not necessarily a big-time scorer, but a big-time defender, a big-time rebounder, and, and someone who can maybe provide a physical presence because I think that's what this team lacked. Jackson Kohler, incoming freshman, is, in my opinion, the most talented offensive big man the program's brought in since Zach Randolph. But I don't know where he's going to be defensively. So I think you've got to think about adding somebody unless Marcus Bingham decides to come back, and then you don't. Then you're full up. Yeah. Well, anything else to add about the game or no, um, the, the tournament? I think you probably one, said it all. There's only one objective for me left in this thing right now, which is get the job done, Jay Wright. That's it. That's all I care about right now in this thing. <laughs> anything else can happen, and I'm fine with it. But Jay Wright needs to win that game on uh, Thursday night. And and then – You don't want to see Michigan yeah. <laughs> in the Elite Eight, right? No, now. no. That, that can't happen. I think it will, but um, it needs to happen. But other than that, yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting year. Definitely uh, an unusual one by Michigan State standards because of the roller coaster nature of it. I thought the highs were pretty good and the lows were really deep. Um, but I, I but I feel like they ended on a note that should, if you're being honest, should leave everyone feeling a little bit better about what this group accomplished and what the future is like. Yeah, I, I feel the same way, obviously. Well, I want to really thank you also for allowing me part of this journey here at the end of the season, which <laughs> during the postseason, it's been it's been fun. And I look forward to future seasons. Uh, and we'll get going here, I guess, in a little bit. But for now, the Final Four is on the schedule. Go Green. <laughs> For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.